business rock stars. Kelly Kennedy here. And today I wanted to introduce you to my business, Capital Business Development, where we don't just see businesses. We see your potential to change the world. We see your passion, your dedication, and drive to do something extraordinary. And we're here to help you bring that vision to life. At Capital Business Development, we understand that behind every business is a visionary, someone with the determination to make a difference. Whether you're a startup with a big idea or an established company aiming to expand your impact, we're here to support you every step of the way. Our mission goes beyond traditional business development. We're committed to nurturing your dreams and empowering you to achieve greatness. From strategic planning and networking to hands-on support and personalized coaching, we provide the tools and guidance you need to succeed. So if you're ready to transform your vision into reality, look no further than Capital Business Development. Visit us today at www.capitalbd.ca to learn more about how we can help you unleash your potential to change the world. Your dreams matter. Let's make them happen together. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. The great Mark Cuban once said, business happens over years and years. Value is measured in the total upside of a business relationship, not by how much you squeezed out in any one deal. And we couldn't agree more. This is the Business Development Podcast, based in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and broadcasting to the world. You'll get expert business development advice, tips and experiences, and you'll hear interviews with business owners, CEOs, and business development reps. You'll get actionable advice on how to grow business. Brought to you by Capital Business Development, capitalbd.ca. Let's do it. Welcome to the Business Development Podcast. And now your expert host, Kelly Kennedy. Hello, welcome back to the Business Development Podcast. Today on the show, we have the president of Fluor Driver. So excited for the show today, Paul Hola. Paul has 33 years experience in engineering, construction, project management, team leadership, maintenance. He spent 30 years of his career working directly with Fluor, a world-renowned engineering procurement and construction company which routinely handles multi-billion dollar mega projects worldwide. Paul has vast experience living and working across Canada living in places such as Calgary, Kingston, St. John, Fort McMurray, Ottawa, Cold Lake, Thunder Bay, Swift Current, and Flin Flon. Paul was appointed the president of Fluor Driver in 2017 to be the leader and drive growth in a widely recognized and trusted maintenance turnaround and construction company operating across Canada. Paul, how are you today? I'm very well, Kelly. Thanks for asking. How are you? I'm fighting a bit of a cold, but I'm doing okay. <laughs> so I really appreciate you coming on the show. Me and you already have a pre-existing relationship as um, I've had the privilege to work with Fluor Driver in your growth plan over the last year. And um, let me just say, it's been a privilege and uh, I've enjoyed every minute of it. Great. Glad to have you, Kelly. Awesome, Paul. So I, I want you just today, you know, I really want to talk about you because you have a very unique experience, um, you know, with such, frankly, an amazing career, Paul. Like, you know, like our, our conversations about your career have always left me kind of like, wow, like, how is that even, how is it even possible that a man can do so much in, in his career? And, and then obviously, I see you as a leader of Fluor Driver, and I see that on a weekly basis. And um, the way that you work with your teams, it's, it's exemplary. And uh, I think that the listeners could have a lot to learn from you today. And I'm really hoping to just 
focus this podcast really on you, on your experience. And uh, hopefully we can impart some really, really good wisdom on new entrepreneurs, new uh, business leaders who are kind of taking that helm that, that you, have, you have basically handled so well. And uh, yeah, let's just see where this goes. Um, I would like to start this off just by asking you to tell us a little bit about Fluor Driver. Okay, well, Fluor Driver is a um, uh, predominantly a maintenance company. Our best, uh, our best sites are the sites where we, uh, we sign a long-term contract. We go through the gate every day with our team of, of craft and supervision, safety and quality, and we look after the, look after the people, keep them safe, keep them productive, uh, payroll them. Um, specifically working on, you know, improving reliability in, 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 in plants and in, in facilities, industrial facilities. Um, those sites that we, we go through the gate every day with our teams and, and uh, kind of have a steady state headcount, uh, a group of people that gets really good at knowing their way around the plant and doing good things in the, in the maintenance space. Um, and then when the client comes along with uh, capital work or with uh, shutdowns, turnarounds, outages, we would ramp up the teams to do those sorts of things uh, for them, and then when the when those sort of those jobs are done, we would settle back down to our steady state team. So, so really, industrial maintenance, um, construction turnarounds um, uh, across Canada. We've got sites as far north as uh, Northwest Territories and and uh, Ontario through to British Columbia. Um, no constraints, just not uh, not crack the nut in the maritimes yet to to get get out there and do some more. Yeah, it's only a matter of time. It it just kind of is what it is with maintenance, right? Like this was my first foray into the maintenance world as well, and the work is when it is, and unfortunately, that's just that's just the way that that cookie crumbles. And it's an interesting one for me because I'm used to in business development having. I don't want to say quick wins, but wins that are considerably faster than they are in the maintenance world. Let's just put it that way. And it's uh, it's just amazing how much effort goes into building those relationships, trying to establish connections, frankly, for work that may come five years down the line. It's uh, it's a different business model for sure. What has your experience been in that? Like, have you found it kind of challenging where, you know, I mean, you might you might be waiting six months, eight months, and we're still waiting to have these these meetings or these uh, maybe our meetings we've had already and we're waiting to get RFPs. Like, does that ever make you nervous in that, in that like waiting period? Uh, I wouldn't say it makes me nervous. I, I, I would say it's a, it's a, uh, an awakening or at least a, a, an acceptance that these things take time. The, they're not quick wins, you know, capital projects go out there on the street. There's uh, six bidders or whatever. Somebody gets awarded that piece of work. My bids not only have to be good enough to win the work, they've got to be good enough for the client to say, I'm willing to make a change. So what you've offered mm-hmm. me is way better and I'm going to go through that discomfort and that pain of making a change from my incumbent contractor. So, you know, these things don't happen just because you say that, that you're better. They happen with relationships. They happen with time. They happen with uh, an ongoing um, demonstration of where you're different and where you're going to add value. And, and, uh, some of our current clients and you, you think about how do you know that they're happy? Well, the, the five-year contracts that we signed seven years ago that we renewed two years ago for another five years, to me is the, is the, is the sauce that that's the proof that, you know, those five years we were actually doing good things and, and the client decided to stay with us and not go through the discomfort of bringing a new contractor on site. 
Um, and I'll even take it a step further and, and, and maybe this is bragging. Maybe it's just, I love this line is one of, one of my clients. And this was, uh, uh, we started a new site about two years ago and we were having one of our early governance meetings with them. And they said, uh, you know, he thinks the single biggest decision that he made in his career was hiring floor driver as the maintenance contractor. And so, you know, you get these, you get this kind of feedback. And so, you know, you're producing a good product, um, but you've got to be able to convince new people that it's worth going through the change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And the, and the one thing too, like with high level contracts like this, you know, for the listeners who who may not have have experienced this level, this level of SCM or this level of essential account management, account management at a fluor driver level at a at a top tier maintenance company dealing with some of the top companies in Canada. (laughs) Relationship generation is much, much harder to do. The uh, the access to the people is much harder. They're dealing with way more companies, right? Like, you know, we can't trying to generate those relationships ends up taking some creative thinking. So Paul, can you maybe tell us a little bit about some of the stuff that Fluor Driver does to to work around this? Like, I know we've done things like, you know, hockey seats, and I'm not advocating that every company on earth needs to go out and and buy a hockey box or, you know, uh, have a stampede or something like that to to entertain these clients and build those relationships. But with you, you really have to get creative about how to make those connections, how to build those relationships. Can you uh, tell me about some of the ways that Fluor Driver has been able to do this, even despite it being an incredibly challenging atmosphere to make that happen? Well, I go back to, to, to what we've already said, Kelly, and personal relationships. And, and, you know, you said you wanted to talk about me a little bit and, and my role in Fluor Driver. Part of the reason that I was uh, um, anointed, whatever you want to call it, for this role was, um, and because, you, as you mentioned, uh, all the places that I've lived and worked, I do know a fair lot of people across Canada and uh, and in and out of client organizations, in and out of competitor organizations, industry associations, things like that. And so those relationships that uh, I know you, I've worked with you in the past, we have an element of trust, or at least I know I know you enough to say I got some confidence in what you're telling me. This this mm-hmm. this might actually work. Um, it's not just a, it's not just a, a, a bragging game when you go into a bid. It's, it's a, it's a brag from someone that you have worked with in the past and, and, and can, can look them in the eye and, and reminisce about projects that you've worked on together and, and at least have that, that, um, uh, you're not coming in blind. You're not coming into a new, a new pitch. Well, who's this guy? Um, this guy is someone that I know from the past. And so I think that's, uh, the, the, having the relationships and for new clients, you've got to start developing those relationships. And that's why you say that, that the time element is, um, extended. It takes time for you to gain enough trust or gain enough, uh, credibility with your product to be able to get the client to take that leap and, and change out their incumbent. Yeah, no, it's definitely like from from the outside looking in from a business development perspective, I definitely see the challenges with that and that need that real need to have that, that connection, that connection with either the person that you're working with directly on site, or, um, you know, someone like Keith, who is is a rock star at client relationships and really goes out of his way to, to just say, Hey, how's it going? Talk to me, like, it tries to create that real friendship with those clients. And, 
that's where I see really the strength of fluid drivers that you guys have managed to overcome and create relationships in an industry that creating relationships is designed to be hard. They make it intentionally hard to create relationships um, to, to, to essentially improve competitiveness. But, but unfortunately, it takes that human element out, which is so critical in all business. So the other thing I'll add, Kelly, is that um, um, you need to be positive. Uh, you know, I've, I've, <laughs> I've, I've coached and preached this for quite a while. The answer is yes. And it's much easier to say yes to something and, and explain your yes than it is to say no and explain the no. So anytime you've got a question, can you do that? Yes, I can. I'm going to need to do these six things on the side, but the answer is yes, as opposed to mm -hmm. no, I can't do that because of these six things. I can do it and I need to do these other six things. So it's really about uh, it's really about saying yes and getting getting into their space as to what they uh, what they're asking for and and giving them a solution that um, yeah, it might have caveats and it might have it might be hard, but you're uh, accommodating. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and I totally understand that in working with you. I know that the answer is yes. And we'll, we will figure it out. There's no question. <laughs> um, I want to take us back, Paul, because you have an incredibly impressive career. Me and you have had plenty of vehicle rides. Where we've had lots of talks and obviously lots of meetings over the past year. And um, I've always enjoyed you telling me about your background, about your engineering background. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about your 30 year career with Fleur? Holy smokes. That's a, uh, how long do you have Kelly? You know what? We got time. Let's uh, I'm not rushing anything. You do it. If right. we've got to be a two-parter, we're a two-parter. <laughs> so I, I thrive on variety and uh, I don't want to say I get bored, but I, 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 I would be unsatisfied in my career doing the same thing every day for 30 years. And so uh, I started as a mechanical engineer and uh, I did that for a few years and, and you go from a stage of being a good engineer to being uh, a good engineer who has other engineers reporting to them in your field, and then you get to be an engineer that's reported that's uh, responsible for different um, uh, different types of engineering. So, as a mechanical engineer, I then looked after as a as a lead engineer. I would, and then as a as an engineering manager type person, and then eventually you get to uh, be a project manager where you're you're not only looking after the engineering field, but you've got procurement, construction, quality, safety, all of the other elements that go into a project. And so, after doing engineering for about five years, I uh, I, I had the opportunity to go to Kingston. We we. Uh, we engineered a project for a, a food plant in Southern Ontario. And uh, not only did the engineering on it, but then I spent nine months at the site doing the construction and the commissioning and the turnover to the, to the client. And it was a relatively small project, but uh, you know, it went from, uh, from calculator to, to hard hat and steel toes. Right. So, yeah. Um, and then I said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm done in Kingston. The project's finished. Uh, I'll come back to Calgary and, uh, they said, how'd you like to go to St. John? We've got uh, uh, an engineering alliance starting up in New Brunswick. How'd you like to go out there and, and be part of that? And so that was interesting, um, um, uh, a live refinery um, and uh, a group of people that were just getting started on setting something up that eventually became a 17-year engineering alliance for, for a single client. Um, wow. So did that for a few years, and then uh, and then the client actually got into a situation where they they'd overspent on a big project. They said we got to trim the size of the engineering uh, group. So I put my hand up, said I'm ready to come back to Calgary, and they said, How'd you like to go to Fort McMurray? 
<laughs> You're like, yeah, I can't uh, wait. <laughs> that's that's a bit of an awkward conversation to go home with after after that call. So we ended up uh, leaping in, and 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 the reason I'm telling you all this is because I don't regret any of these. These were all good places for me to go. They were different. They were different experiences. They were notches in my career that uh, mm-hmm. that that gave me. You know, and you don't necessarily appreciate what you're learning at the time you're learning it. It's when you look back yeah. at it and say, I learned how to do that in St. John. I learned that skill in Fort McMurray. Um, Absolutely. So I uh, ran a small office, an engineering office in Fort McMurray for Fleur for a few years. And mm-hmm. then um, and then uh, I put my hand up and said, I'm ready to come back to Calgary. And they said, how'd you like to go back to St. John? <laughs> and, and run the engineering alliance out there, right? So when I was there previously, I was an engineer, and now I went back as, as the alliance manager. And, and uh, um, you know, when you talk about having good client relations and, and uh, you know, looking after the people that are in front of the client every day, uh, very much what I do today, right? When you mention our sites that we have, our, our site teams are in front of the clients every day. So it's a great way to have a good relationship, but they also notice everything that you do wrong. So um, mm-hmm. being being ahead of that, reminding them of all the good things that you're doing, and I call it a a, a, um, a bank where you you put enough good things in the bank account that hopefully it sustains you through the times you have to make withdrawals. Um, yes. And so we spent a lot of effort uh, um, in St. John um, in our governance reviews and stewardship meetings and things like that, reminding the client of the, the 65 good things we did for them that quarter and uh, just keeping that front and center so that we were we were continuously developing those client relationships and improving our position with that client. Uh, eventually in yep. 2011, I, uh, I uh, put my hand up and eventually got back to Calgary into the into the office there. And I worked on a couple of large uh, billion-dollar size projects as the project manager, and I run our, uh, I ran our, um, we call it the multi-projects group in Calgary, which is essentially small capital works, uh, an engineering team. And then uh, 2017, as you mentioned, I was anointed <laughs> as yeah. the uh, as the president of Floor Driver to to replace uh, uh, my predecessor who was retiring. Yeah, no, for sure. So Paul, oh, yeah, man, there's so much like there's so much there. There truly is like in your, t- in your time, I, I was going to say like, I, I definitely understand what you're saying about there's nothing in my career that I regret. It's like, I learned a lesson from every single place that I've worked at every single client that I've taken on, even if it was like something a little bit left field or something that I wasn't even used to. And I want to talk even especially Fleur Driver. I've learned a ton working with Fleur Driver at how to essentially create create meetings from a very challenging situation in a situation where um, there's a lot of reluctance for people to have meetings. Like you said, people people have loyalty to the incumbents. And then it ends up being, well, we can't even talk to Fleur Driver because then we're, we're not being loyal to our incumbents or we're not interested. So you're fighting a lot of a lot of nays um, before you're getting your yeses. Like I would say that it probably takes me five times as long to get my yes with Fleur Driver than it does to say with any other service company because most other service companies look at it as, oh, whatever, you know, I'm going to spend $100,000 on a personnel. It's not a big deal. We'll give this person a yes regardless of whether we like the people or not. In the cases like Fleur Driver where you're dealing with large scale maintenance in in you know the tens of millions of dollars of contracts range 
people are a lot more reluctant to even give you 30 minutes, which is just surprising. You would think people would be more more open to it given given the scope that if you can do it for a little bit less money and be and be just as effective if not more effective um by utilizing different experiences but yeah it's a tough it's a tough market to be in and um yeah i i've cut my teeth i definitely cut my teeth uh with with my business development on this particular project <laughs> yeah certainly in our case kelly the uh the competition isn't necessarily the other maintenance companies it's the maintenance companies that are embedded in the client organizations. And in some yes. cases, it's the fact that they've chosen to internalize their maintenance. So they haven't even outsourced it. They've, they've kept it as an internal um, department. And, and so we've done some work on, on a business case to show that outsourcing is better than insourcing or hybrid teams might be a better answer to that. But the, the, the competition is, is, is not the other maintenance companies necessarily. Um, it's it's the incumbents and the 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 choice or decision to insource. Yes, yes, and just so my listeners understand, um, you know, I mean, it even took me a bit to understand this when I got into Fluor Driver, but the cost to switch out an internal maintenance team is actually quite high, right? And there, there's always a fear that you will lose knowledge, you'll lose, you know, a good team, or you'll lose this little team that you really liked. Um, and so there's just there's a reluctance, there's just a reluctance internally to make change. And uh, just I want to speak to this, Paul, because I think there's gonna be a lot of people listening to this who are who may be able to use Fluor Driver in the future. And I just want to speak that there are ways that we can that we can alleviate the pain of this. Um, one of them is we can definitely onboard some of your internal teams. If, if you have an internal team already in place that you like them, you like this group, if you were to let Fluor Driver know, Fluor Driver would bend over backwards to make sure that we found a way to keep that team for you. Um, do you want to speak of maybe some other ways, Paul, that we can alleviate the pain of, of a switchover? Yeah, there, there's a few ways, Kelly. And so so the first one, as you said, if, if they've got an in-house team and and uh, and you can you can take some of those people and make them part of the new maintenance team that, that includes floor driver, that's that's a that's a good win. Um, in, in places where they have uh, they've, they've chosen to outsource, they have an incumbent contractor, and we're coming in as the new guy, uh, we would we would target 60 to 70 percent of the craft to try and get those crews over onto our payroll. We'd put our own supervision and start putting our own policies in place. We would continuously monitor the change to see how's the pulse, how's it going, any course corrections, and do that often and regularly through the first three to six to 12 months. Other things we've done on, on sites to, to give the client some comfort is come in and say 100% fee at risk. The fee is based on performance. If you're not happy, you don't pay the fee. And so we um, that can be an attractive proposition to drive the behaviors of not only my team, but their team to say, um, you know, we'll do a scorecard, we'll do some sort of benchmarks or metrics and say, here's where we are after three months, we need to fix these six things, or you guys are overachieving in all these categories. Um, you know, here's, uh, we should go ahead and pay the fee. So there's, uh, there, the, that's a good way to drive the behavior. And it, 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 it does, it does connect people. Anytime you've got mm -hmm. a situation where the, um, the alignment of objectives between the client and the contractor is is aligned. And, and let me connect that a little bit further and say, you know, if we're doing a good job on maintenance and safety and what's important to the client, the client should be more than happy to pay for it because it's helping them achieve what's important to them. So um, 
you know, it's, it, it, it does connect these things. You know, I get paid well when the client's objectives are being met. Yes. So you're, you're speaking to mutually beneficial relationships, which I, I preach to, right? In my mind, if you don't have a mutually beneficial relationship with your client, um, you, you don't have, you don't have a good relationship. Like it's frankly, you probably shouldn't be doing business with them because if you aren't providing a good value to your client and your client is providing a good value to you, there's always some type of, uh, unequalness or, or indifference going on. And so I think that all companies should strive. And I definitely see that Fluor Driver does that as well. And it, it's not only that, Paul, there are so many benefits that come with Fluor Driver that are completely intangible. And it's like, we've, we've sat in a room and we're like, how do we, how do we explain these benefits that are sometimes immeasurable, but they're immeasurable. Um, they're almost all companies on some level have immeasurable benefits that are sometimes incredibly hard to quantify, but you know that they're real, you know that they exist. And uh, can definitely make it challenging, but there, you have to find a way to to at least make light of them because you know I mean obviously with Fluor Driver you have to go back and, and go back to the connections with Fluor and JB Driver and realize that Fluor Driver has reach back right we have reach back we have we have access to knowledge of of a hundred and ten year plus company <laughs> and there are benefits that come with that even though they're not necessarily quantifiable. Yeah, it's uh, we have a client uh, that uh, that is is truly appreciative of that, uh, Kelly. That uh, you know they've hired me as their maintenance contractor, and um, they absolutely love the fact that they don't have to sign another contract to get engineering done. That I can I can phone a friend back in Fleur and, and get access to engineering um, for whatever projects they need to get done. The client just deals with my site manager. My site manager organizes the engineering and then the construct procurement and construction gets the job done, tosses them the keys when he's when he's got the got the got the plant ready for them. So it, it really is a value to that specific client. Um, another story I can tell, uh, Kelly, is uh, we were in the middle of a, of a shutdown in uh, in southern Ontario. I happened to be at site that day visiting our team and visiting the client. And there was a mistake. Somebody had put the wrong welding rod into uh, a, a, a joint. And um, the question was, did we need to cut all these welds out or could we uh, live with it? Was it, was it uh, bad for that service? Was it bad for those joints? And, and so uh, I phoned a friend back in Fleur and had three or four welding engineers, metallurgists weigh in on the problem and get me an expert answer within a couple of hours. And it was, you know, there was no cost for that to the client. It was just, uh, you know, we knew who the right people to talk to were to get them a solution very, very quickly. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, those are the kinds of things that, they get forgotten in the heat of the moment. And, and when I talk about my list of reminding them of the good things that we've done, things like that go on the list where, where, you know, there was no separate purchase order for this. There was no um, pat on the back or accolades for it. It was just something that we had access to. So we got it done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I guess what I wanted to speak to in this for, for people that are kind of listening, you know, that are, that are in a higher level role who are trying to maybe put together the benefits of your company, you have to look at not only the tangible benefits, the obvious ones, but there's a lot of non-obvious benefits to your company as well that maybe you don't even know in the moment. Maybe it's something that you start to figure out as you operate or as you do more business, but you have to try to keep track of not only the tangible benefits, but the intangible benefits, because there are definitely immeasurable benefits. And if you can at least name them, it gives your clients something to look 
Kelly, can I just can I just go yeah. on to that for a minute? Because I think there's something there. And and it's not just the tangible or intangible benefits that you have and that you bring. Uh, understand what your client wants from a tangible or intangible benefit. I'll, I'll give you an example. If if you if you're going in to, to try and bid for a client, try and figure out what their annual report says. What are their goals? What are their objectives? What what are their pet projects, if you want to call it that? What are the ESG initiatives that they have going on? How do they feel about local content? How do they feel about Indigenous involvement? How do they feel about charity or food banks or supporting Little League teams? Or, you know, each client is going to have a different intangible kind of uh, bias. And things that work for them, I would encourage most suppliers to try and emulate that a little bit. And and if local content is important, then your bid should show a local content to 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 appeal mm. to that. Okay. So so yeah, no, that actually makes a lot of sense. So ultimately, what you're saying is try to figure out what the values are of this company. You know, do they value Little League? Do they value certain uh, certain donations, things like that? And then try to emulate it. Is is that? Are you suggesting, Paul, that? that company should then if that's a client that they want to go after, that maybe that they should be start to think like six months, eight months ahead and say, hey, if, if this company is donating to the food bank, maybe we should also donate to the food bank in order to create essentially um, a, a joint passion. Is that kind of what you're thinking? Uh, sort of, Kelly. I guess what I'm saying is don't ignore it. And if, and if you think you've got some value in whatever category that is, um, it needs to be a value that's important to the client. Yes. No, that's fair. Because me saying I support local content to a client that is in um, uh, Nunavut, Northwest Territories, that there is no local content available you 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 you've got a mismatch there. So your your what you're bragging about of something about local content doesn't appeal to something that's important to them. I see what you're saying. So, so you have to line line up your pitch to their values that they've deemed yes, to be important. Okay. No, that that makes a lot of sense. That definitely makes a lot of sense. And so and and there's obviously ways to to work with that company on their values, right? Like you can put that up front in your in your initial discussions with them. Say, hey, I see that you have a passion for the food bank in your area, or you have a passion for local content, how can we help you with this and let them maybe even name right. some of the ways that you might be able to assist in that to help your help your bid. Right. Or let, let's put a KPI around that, that we can measure ourselves against progress on. Yes, it. that makes okay. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. Perfect. You have to you have to really uh, appeal to what's important to them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Which is sometimes easier said than done. But I, I feel like, like you said, you have to at least give it a try. <laughs> you got to at least give it a fair shot. Um, I want to take us back, Paul, to to when you came back to Fluor Driver. We kind of chatted about this earlier. And I just wanted to ask you, what is it like? So most of the people that I've I've chatted with so far, uh, most of the people I work with are are new entrepreneurs. They've essentially, they came from the ground up. They had an idea. They've They've tried to kind of build a company from nothing. What was it like being handed the keys essentially to Fleur Driver and saying like, hey, we have this company, it needs a president, we have goals with it, but here, do do what you can, make this thing profitable, do something with it. What was that like for you? Well, um, 
as I mentioned earlier, Kelly, I do like variety in my in my work experience, and so this was a this was going to be different. This was going to be unusual. Um, uh, I really didn't know what to expect when I when I said yes. Um, part of the job is leading people, which I'm comfortable with. I've been doing that on on projects and and you know alliances and and offices for for many 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 years. Um, I would say being aware or self-aware of blind spots and weak spots going into this role, I had not a lot of knowledge of um, uh, unions. Uh, that was a, a blind spot for me. Um, working as an employee in a company, I did not have a full appreciation of the, the, the financials that go into running a company, you know, the, the balance sheets and the, the you know, the, the, the keeping a bank account so that you can fund your payroll and having enough money coming in and, you know, being more in tune with the money was something that I knew I had to, to get uh, smarter at. And I knew I had a, a, a weak spot on, on craft and unionized employees and, and that sort of thing. So um, I would say 60 to 70% of it, completely comfortable, 30% of it. There was a, gaping hole in my in my experience base to to come into this role yeah, yeah. so you know i'm i'm um, i'm uh, i'm i'm an ask questions kind of guy if i don't understand uh, stop explain it to me um get some good people into those roles mm -hmm. that that can tell me how these things work and and can can lead me along until i'm fluent in the subject matter um like I say, I wasn't I wasn't in in any way opposed to the position. It was a, it was a, a good place for me to go. And uh, and and what I liked about it is uh, go grow the company. Yeah, yeah. There's right? a lot of freedom. There's a lot of freedom to do it your way. And um, yeah, I just wanna I just wanna speak to this because you know I mean I've I've obviously worked directly for Fleur Driver. I've worked under you, Paul, for almost a year. We're coming up on our, our first year working together. I just want to say that yeah. you're an absolute pleasure to work for. I've enjoyed every minute of working with Fluid Driver. And um, I see the level of respect that you get around the office. And I, I don't want to say some people are given respect, frankly, just because of the, the name of their position. But Paul is given respect because he is he is kind. He is caring. He genuinely cares about not only the success of the company, but the success of every single individual working with Fluid Driver. And I just want to say, Paul, that that radiates from you and um, you are a joy every time you come into our office and we appreciate having you when uh, when you do swing by for those days. And uh, it is the way that you've created such an excellent team based atmosphere, such an excellent place to work. Um, and, and you've done that in your time. And I just want to say that you have been incredibly successful at that, at uniting a, a good team, a team who is passionate about what they do, is passionate about the success of Fluor Driver. And uh, they get that because we have a president who is passionate about what he does and is passionate about the success of Fluor Driver. So I just want to say, you know, just from a, from an outside looking in after a year's experience, that is my observation. Well, I'm a, I'm a Kelly, if you haven't figured it out yet, I'm a, I'm a big fan of being positive. Um, I, I try and exude that. I would much rather surround myself with people that are positive, uh, pretty healthy, uh, pretty fun place to be. Um, we're going to tell a joke in some meetings. We're going to, we're going to, um, we're going to put a ping pong table in the lunchroom. We're, we're going to have some fun at work while we're, um, while we're slogging through those eight, nine, 10 hour, 12 hour days that we have to put in some days. But, um, 
you know, I'm not going to micromanage people. I'm going to trust them to do what they what they do. I've I've always had an approach of trusting people. Occasionally, I get disappointed, and then we have a different conversation. But uh, I I do find that that letting people uh, do what they're good at and and giving them a lot of rope to to go out and do those things, um, keeping things positive, using humor as a management tool. I I do find that to be um, uh, productive um just that's the way i roll that's the way I, I i do business and it does seem to work yeah no absolutely and i i want to kind of carry this forward because like i said you have an incredibly motivated team you really do you really do you have passionate people working for you how have you been able to foster that passion that motivation in the staff of fluor driver because that is no question to me that is the that is the, the the reason that Fluor Driver is so successful. It's truly the passion of the team that you have put around you, the management team, even the office team, and and then the field team as well. But everybody is passionate about what they do and motivated. So 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 Kelly, this this didn't happen um, just because we we dealt the cards and these were the cards I got dealt. This has been um, you know Fluor Driver started in two thousand seven. I've been here since two thousand seventeen. Um, it wasn't always this way. The people that are here today are, um, and excuse the expression, they have a strong give a shit factor. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of people that I need to surround myself with. If you're not in that bucket, then you're not going to last. Um, and we have had some people that, you know, they put in their eight hours and went home. But the people that I've got around me today, at least the management team and the next level, um, all of our site managers are, they're not going to see something fail. They will not let it fail. They will roll up their sleeves to make sure that it doesn't fail. And whether that's getting a proposal in, whether that's dealing with a, a safety incident, whether that's uh, a client has a problem that we need to deal with or a grievance from the union, we, 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 the people will see to that problem until that problem is fixed. And and I don't mean that means they work 24 hours a day. I mean that they 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 put smart thoughts into something to make sure that that problem goes away. We learn from it. We embed it into our practices, and we never see that problem again. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, so for me, like I, I've talked to my program many times that I've found that my success, and you know, I mean, it's it, frankly my success has really been stubbornness because I hate losing, Paul. I hate losing, and I don't know why, but. I just I, I I work until I succeed because I hate the idea of failing of losing anything. I, you know, I mean, I guess we all have our values or our, our drives behind it. But I've been successful because I just don't quit. And how how important do you think that that is? Or how much do you think that's a factor in, in your success? Or it, just just going that extra mile because because you don't want to fail? How How often is that the case for you? I think uh, uh, let me flip the answer around a little bit, Kelly, and, and with the mandate that I've got that's very general, which is go grow the company. Um, if, we, if we're running down a laneway and we hit a wall, we'll go down another laneway mm -hmm. or we'll go down three other laneways. And, 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 and let me explain that. If, if, if our goal is to stay and be a maintenance contractor in the oil and gas space um, and we're not 
getting any work from that because these are long-term contracts and there's strong incumbents in them and the bids don't come out but every five years and so then what about mining what about facilities what about manufacturing what about infrastructure you know there's a lot of maintenance work out there that's not oil and gas related mm -hmm. and so the i don't want to say we get frustrated but we do if one door is closed, we go down three other doors, right? So we'll, we'll find other ways to try and grow the business, if you will, um, outside of maybe the conventional channel. So really it's a reflection of the mandate that I've been given, which is not very specific. And, and it gives us a lot of latitude to explore um, other ways of being, uh, uh, of growing the company. And, and as, as you're doing for us, Kelly, of going and knocking on doors in, in, uh, in different sectors, uh, like I say, whether that's manufacturing, facility work, um, mining work, um, uh, food and beverage, there's, there's a lot of different sectors out there and a lot of clients in Canada that currently don't have Fleur Driver as their maintenance contractor. And so with, with a very broad objective-based mandate, it gives us a lot of places to go if we do get frustrated or, or you know, that the being stubborn, uh, I, I would flip that and say we're flexible. Yes. Yes. No. And, and even in, I was just going to say like, even in the time that I've been there, the, the, the change in like, okay, so initially we were targeting primarily oil and gas because that was our, that's our main clients. That's our bread and butter. Right. But it's like, even in that time, just that shift now that where we're hitting up manufacturing distribution centers, like for me, I'm always wondering, okay, what's next? Where are we going next? <laughs> like for me, it's like, one of the questions I want to ask you is in five years, do you, where do you, where do you think fluid driver is going to be? Because, you know, I mean, for me, I think ultimately fluid driver could be across Canada doing all sorts of different work for manufacturing distribution centers, oil and gas. Like we're not capped to anything. If it's maintenance, we can do it. Do you have any ideas of where Fluor Driver could be in five years? So on my whiteboard, Kelly, I have an acronym. It's T-O-T-W. That acronym stands for Take Over the World. <laughs> um, I don't think I can do that in five years. I am going to focus on Canada. I have not taken over Canada yet. Um, but I do think that there's a lot of places that we can grow in Canada. I think the, the, the oil and gas space has still got some room for us to grow. There's still clients out there that haven't seen the benefit of Fleur Driver and, and uh, you know, the, the some of the things that we do differently and some of the values that we have. Um, but what we're finding is when we knock on a door of, uh, of um, uh, some of the non-oil and gas clients where our name isn't well recognized, and I'll, I'll go back to the client that told us about the, the, the best decision he made in his career. That was not an oil and gas client. That was a new client. It was a new sector. But with the, the, the tools, the techniques, the attitude, the culture that we brought to their site, they have never seen before. So based on that, I think there's a lot of room for us to get into some new facilities and, and, and be rock stars. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just that leap of faith to say that we are what we're offering is is different than what say um, uh, uh, small manufacturers or uh, municipal uh, operations or uh, even some of the mining sites might have seen in the past that that what we bring is is different and better. Yeah, and and you know, I mean, you're really a success story on the idea of 
hey, we do this really great thing for oil and gas to an incredibly high standard, because if you're not familiar with it, Alberta oil and gas or the energy industry in Canada really is it's the leader in pretty much everything and all standards is the oil and gas industry. So if you're like Paul, and you've taken, okay, I have this this great company, we are experienced in oil and gas, we've been working for oil and gas clients now for a decade, what can we do with this? And, and you've essentially taken the standards, which are incredibly high for oil and gas, you've transferred that over to warehousing, distribution, places where, frankly, the standards might have been incredibly low or, or non-existent in a lot of cases and said, nope, we're going to show up here, we're going to manage a team to high efficiency, we're going to bring your facility to high efficiency. And then the feedback is like Paul said, these people are looking at it and saying, wow, <laughs> it's, it's almost hard for them to believe because they've never seen that. And so in my mind, it's just a very successful pivot is, is what I would say, Paul. Yeah. So the, then the trick is how do you how do you how do you replicate that and how do you get other clients to to tap into it and see the benefit that uh, that we can bring? Yeah, for sure. So we've talked a lot about success. I want to talk a little bit, and you know, I mean, you can cut me off if you want here, but I want to just ask: Can you tell us about some of the challenges you faced as as the leader of Fluor Driver? You know, I mean, it's like we want to we want to always say that things are great and they're just clipping along and there's never any problems. But me and you both know, running a company, there's always challenges. There's always there's always hiccups. Can you speak to maybe a couple of the challenges that you faced in your time as the leader? Uh, I'm not going to talk about COVID or a recession. How's that? Sure. Fair enough. They they were pretty significant events through the past five years. So, um, you know, Kelly, it is, uh, I think the, uh, the, the biggest challenge or frustration um, is, is, you know, sometimes we put bids into clients and you know, you don't have a chance, you know, they are so glued to the incumbent. They're going through the motions of, of, of asking for a bid because corporately they say they need to go out for bid every five years, but you know, they have no intention of, of changing. And so, you know, we, we play that, we, we put bids into it, but it's a, it's a frustrating situation when, you know, you've put in a, uh, you put a hundred percent fee at risk. You've uh, got a volume discount you're going to put in your a team of of players onto that job and you don't even get a question uh after they've opened the bid and so you know there's some frustration there in the in the in the bidding space where where we don't i I don't even know if they open the bids right Mm -hmm. but they've gone through the motions they've stretched us by asking us for a very complicated bid to to be submitted with lots of lots of questions lots of long answers lots of different rate schedules and things like that and uh, and execution strategies and things and and so you put a lot of a lot of effort into that to find that it didn't go anywhere um, and it didn't go anywhere hard. Yeah, and that's yeah. I've I've experienced this in my time with Fluid Driver, right? So I I totally understand where you're coming from with this. How so the the stubbornness, I guess, on on, on that side, Kelly, is you keep keep knocking on those doors and you keep doing it and you keep you keep you keep saluting and saying, yes, Mr. Client, I'm I'm happy to put a bid in. Um, it, you know, it, it it does drag on you a little bit when when uh, when you don't get a lot of feedback from it or the feedback is. Uh, um, we had client feedback once that said uh, we just weren't hungry enough in our bid and. And this was a, a a request for information package that didn't even have pricing in it. So they they were giving us a, a bit of a runaround answer to to a direct question. So so good feedback isn't always forthcoming. Um, 
not always honest. It's not a, and, and often these bids are, are a waste of time, but you don't know it at the time. It's, it's that learning from hindsight and learning from looking in the rearview mirror. And so I've seen, I've seen this, right? Like I've seen the fallout of this and the fallout of this is not just you. The fallout of this is the bid team. It's JL, it's Keith, it's all the people, it's Jen, it's all the people up top who have put in all this effort to create this uh, outstanding bid. <sighs> and, and obviously stuff like this happens. How do you deal with the frustration of this, Paul? How do you, how, how do you like, not just with you, but with the entire team who starts to feel demoralized a little bit because they put in a ton of effort, you know, maybe a week, two weeks, three weeks, who knows how long it's been to put together this amazing bid package. And then you get feedback so, like that. How do you deal with that demoralization? So two, two things there. And, and the first one would be uh, back to what I said about having a pretty positive attitude around things. Uh, you know, if, if we, we have a positive attitude bank as well because we do need to make withdrawals in it sometimes. So yeah. I think uh, uh, staying positive about things. But the other thing is um, uh, as, a, as a learning afterwards and saying, well, let's, let's be a little more selective. And so all of those bids that we've got rejections on, uh, I think that um, there, are, there are almost an equal number of bids that we didn't put effort into because we thought this is a non-starter. Mm -hmm. There's 10 bidders. It's uh, somebody's going to buy this job. It's not worth our time and energy to even put a proposal in. So we're, we're, we're making uh, people aware that we are being selective as well. And so when we do put our backs into a bid, we've, we're, we're, we're hopeful and we're thinking that we've at least got a chance on this one. The ones that we know we we probably don't have a chance at all, or it's not worth the time and energy, or we've got something that, that might be a higher priority or higher likelihood of, of a win, then we'll put some to the wayside and, and not touch them. Yeah. So it's and about I, and I think and I think recognizing that what where you can win and where you don't have a chance is an important uh, messaging to the team that that you know we're not just chasing windmills we're we're actually going to go after the ones that are real and we're going to put our backs into it yes a prioritization it's a prioritization of success which like you said if if you're if you're prioritizing higher likelihood of success you have a higher chance of winning instead of demoralizing your team you're pumping them up that makes a lot of sense uh paul can you tell me a little bit about I have an interesting question and uh, we'll just let me know if you want to cancel this one out. You don't have to answer it. I just wanted to ask if there was one thing that you could change about Fleur Driver with the snap of your fingers, let's, let's call it an Avengers moment. You could just reset something. If you could just snap your fingers and change one thing at Fleur Driver that you think would, would incredibly benefit the business, what, what might that be? Kelly, I'm an engineer. I don't think about... <laughs> esoteric stuff like this <laughs> i i don't have a magic eight ball i don't have a snap my fingers and a genie and a, a magic hat that i can pull a rabbit out of i if it was an easy change i'd have made it already sure any any fundamental changes of of people are are, are right now they're in the hard bucket because every single person is is performing every single person is uh is is pretty good at what they do and um, and strong strong not going to let things fail attitude to them so i i don't know if there's one thing that i would snap my fingers and change um 
you know, systemic things that I'd like to grow and develop over the years. I, I think we'd like to get um, maybe better at sales. Uh, maybe we need someone doing what you're doing out, out in the street and, and, and spending more time with clients, developing relationships. Right now, the, the sales falls to myself and Keith and JL and yeah. you. And, and so it's a bit of a shared role, but, but maybe we need to ramp that up. And I think uh, I think over time we probably need to to grow, um, you know, where we're 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 very good at doing steady state maintenance. Maybe we need to develop other businesses. For example, do we have a you know two guys in a truck model that can go and be dispatched to go and fix a HVAC unit or go and fix a, um, an elevator or go and fix a something for someone um in 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 facilities or warehouses or you know industrial uh like a call-out service might be something to to grow and develop um tool rental business you know uh bundle pulling equipment Mm -hmm. uh you know where do you go with the business and what what can you add to it that that adds value to what you're doing but but is is complementary and and something that you know how to run and manage Yes, like add-on, add-on services, but add-on services, I've seen them done poorly too. Like you said, they need to be in your wheelhouse. I'm a huge advocate of add-on services. However, they need to be something that you understand fully and completely um, that there are a, a addition to your main service or a, uh, they, they make sense, right? It's got to make sense because I've seen a lot of companies, Paul, try to do things that, you know, they try to pivot. They try to pivot in a challenge. And they're pivoting to things that they have no understanding of. And in my mind, you can't be competitive if, if is in starting, especially a new service, if it's not in your wheelhouse, if it's not already like your main understanding, trying to kind of jump right. in and do something new, it's almost like a guaranteed failure in my book. Right. And so, you know, there's a, if you decide this is a, an area you want to grow into, yeah, I'm, I'm, confident that we could grow it ourselves and we could we could bring people in and we could we could develop these sort of product lines if you will um i also think you could go out and buy it that you could look for an acquisition of something that's complementary to you and you know one plus one is three now instead of one plus one being two and so you you've added to your competency you've done it quickly and you've bought into something that already exists and people know how to do this. They've, they've got the work processes and the procedures and stuff. And so, you know, I'm, I'm not a fan of trying to buy a, a, a call out dispatch sort of maintenance service. I would rather buy my way into something like that and, and, and get something that's more shovel ready. Yes, no, absolutely. I think you have the right approach and I'm, I'm excited to see what you guys got coming up next. Like that's the thing with, with fluid drivers, you never know what's coming up next. Paul's always got something up his sleeve. So I'm always kind of sitting on the edge of my seat thinking, uh, when am I having this meeting to figure out what we're doing next fall? <laughs> we are in uh, we are in due diligence right now for some deal that closes on April 30th. So awesome. more to be revealed. Awesome. Well, see, I don't even know what that is yet. So I am excited to uh, to get the news. Um, Paul, can you tell me a little bit about your daily routine? Tell me, what is the president's daily routine to wake up in the morning and get himself pumped and ready to uh, ready for his day? Is it a good day, Kelly? It's a great day. Okay. So on a good day, um, I just for, for everyone's information, I do live in Ontario now. So I'm, I'm two hours ahead of most of my staff who live in Alberta and, and most of our sites in Western Canada. And so uh, my mornings are typically quiet. If I can, I'll go for a run first thing. Um, 
I, I spend some time out in the Maritimes. I mentioned all the time I spent in St. John. Um, we do try to spend our summers out there. And so I've got a three hour advantage on Alberta. I can go fishing in the morning for a couple hours and then come in and, and, and load up my computer and stuff. So I, I try and do something in the morning that, that is, that is for me, that is relaxing. Um, and then, uh, and then, like I say, it's quiet for the first couple of hours once I get to my desk. So I'm either on the phone with other people in Ontario, whether that be clients or, or our sites in Ontario, um, uh, or, or further East, um, you know, it gives me quiet time for reading contracts and things that I need to do with, with no interruptions. I, I've got some time there. And then by the time Alberta gets into work, uh, you know, every, every week, uh, two or three times a week, I'm in touch with each one of my direct reports, whether that's my, my finance director, my, uh, human resources director, the site operations or the, uh, the proposals and estimating group. And I, I make sure I'm on the phone with them two or three times a week in person alone and not in a, not in some other agenda meeting. Uh, most of our regular meetings end up being in my afternoon. Um, and then I, I do travel quite a bit. So uh, visiting our sites, visiting clients to doing trade shows or conferences and things like that. So uh, routine could be waking up in a hotel and figuring out where, how I'm going to get to, the airport or to the train station or when do I need to get this rental car back so the routine when I'm in the office is 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 a lot of phone calls um, some regular meetings a lot of personal meetings and uh, you know so normally try and shut the computer down by about six o'clock in the evening um, which which is you know four o'clock in in Alberta so um, trying to accommodate a lot of their day as well and then, um, you know, it's, uh, that's my day. Yeah. So I, 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 try, to... I, try, I try, I try and leave the, the computer in the office. Yeah. And so after six o'clock or on weekends, you know, I, I'm still on my phone. I can, I can respond to anything urgent, but I'm, I'm typically not stopping into my office to do work on the weekends or, or in the evenings, um, when I'm not sitting at my desk full time. Yeah. Excellent. That was going to be my next question is that, when you're in a high level, like like yourself, sometimes it can be really hard to shut down from work. And uh, heck, I've gotten in trouble for it plenty of times because I'm, I'm on my computer between the podcast, you know, working full time for Fleur Driver Solace and, and trying to grow capital. I'm usually working, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll start my work. Like you said, we started this morning, we're at 7am, we started this, uh, this meeting for this interview. And uh, typically, I'm working till about 536, seven at night. And uh, more than once, uh, I've, I've gotten in a little bit of trouble for working a bit too late and a bit too long, but it can be really hard to shut down. Uh, what have you found? How, how have you found? How have you been able to do it, I guess, would be my, my better question. Like, because even when you shut down, like I find with myself, even when I shut my computer and I say, okay, that's it. Like I've done enough for the day. I'm done for the night. I still find my mind creeping back to work. It's still creeping back, right? Like, what did I miss? Is there something that I forgot to do? Is there something that I need to do or something that I should do because it's a priority and I need to make sure it's done for tomorrow? Or, you know, I mean, I don't know. You might not have the answer to this, Paul, but I haven't found the answer to this yet. So do you have any advice? <laughs> well, I can't say my mind shuts down, even though I'm not at my desk, Kelly. I, I do think about stuff. Sometimes I wake up at night thinking about things and uh, that's I don't think that's abnormal when you care. Um, I, couple things I have learned that issues, problems 
often can take care of themselves without my intervention, right? So you may see something, I'll watch it, I'll watch it carefully, but I don't necessarily intervene on it unless it's absolutely necessary, right? I, we've got smart people working for us. We pay them to do these sorts of things. It's, it's uh, you know, we don't need the whole management team deflected to go and deal with a problem uh, unless it's required. Mm -hmm. um, but most problems can be taken care of by the people that are responsible for those things. Um, and it doesn't need my intervention. I'll read the reports, I'll read whatever's going on on it, but I will watch and I will not in, intentionally not intervene right away. I've got stuff to do, right? And I'm paying people to do these things. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that most of this stuff doesn't need to come to me as uh, to, to get involved. Sometimes it does, but I'm, I'm able to, to leave that at the next level down and, and, and let people take care of business, which is, which is what they're supposed to be doing. So what you're saying is rely on your team have faith. Yeah. 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 Which is hard. That's hard. You know I mean? It's hard for any business owner, I think. It's, no, it's not. Not for, it's not. Not for, not for Paul Hola. <laughs> well, <laughs> let, let me flip it around the other way. And so every problem that I hear about, I need to get involved in, I won't get my work done. Sure. Sure. Right. You, you've got to count on your people to do things and be involved when you need to be. But if you don't need to be, let them do it. Yeah, it's great advice, Paul. It's great advice. I, I'm totally on board. I totally believe you. I just also know that from like the standpoint of the clients that I've worked with, and even myself, the idea sometimes, it's something we all have to get better at. Everybody sucks at delegating, I think, until until you take an active approach to it, until you decide, okay, I am sucking at delegating, I need to do better at this. That's when we get better at delegating. But I know for like, you know, even myself, it's like, I'm trying to train Cole right now, which is my first employee. And working with Cole is like, I want to give him things, but I also don't want to overwhelm him or do poorly for my clients. So it's like, I'm trying to do things with him, but also monitor the level of work so that I can make sure that we are getting what I, what I consider is the acceptable standard. But you're right. At some point, I'm going to have to take a step back. And I know it's like working with, I know Diana Solis working with some of my previous clients like Angrity and IPEC, sometimes it can be really hard to take a step back and say, okay, I'm just going to trust my team with this. I think that that takes practice, skill, and um, a while to get right. <laughs> well, and it, it is a learning, Kelly, of, of, of years and just a recognition that, you know, if you don't jump on it, if you don't jump on it right away, 90% of the time, somebody is going to fix that and, and the problem is going to go away. Uh, your people are going to deal with it. Uh, you don't need to get involved. And so let that happen. Okay. Okay. Well, there we go. That's my piece of learning from this, Paul. And I really appreciate that. I'm, I'm going to try to be better at delegating and having faith. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to take us in. This is the Business Development Podcast. I do want to take us into the marketing strategy a little bit, Paul. Um, can you tell me a little bit about not just obviously, I know that you're working with capital, you're working with me, and I appreciate it greatly. But can you tell me a little bit about your marketing strategy before me? Um, what did Fleur Driver do? Like, I, I know you guys do trade shows, but can you tell us a little bit about how you used to market Fleur Driver maybe before you brought on capital business development? There wasn't much, Kelly. There was, uh, uh, I think there was a lot of relying on the phone to ring and someone to send us a package. And uh, I think, uh, you know, since I've, I've 
been given this mandate and given this um, this infinite flexibility, essentially, um, we're, we're not only doing trade shows, we're doing very specific trade shows to mm-hmm. get the floor driver brand out there and recognized. So we've probably, probably done two or three trade shows in the mining sector. We've got two or three more this year to go out and, you know, the first one, you might get a, a nibble, you might get a bite. The second one, you might get a couple. I'm hoping on the third or the fourth, we start to get some name recognition from that. So um, targeted trade shows in areas where our name isn't well recognized is one of our tactics. Um, the, the second thing is, and, and uh, I spent a lot of time actually this week working on this, is, uh, is we have two big shareholders. One of them is Fleur and one of them is JV Driver. And to be blunt, as shareholders, they've not sent us a whole lot of packages to bid. They've got work in our space and, and, you know, we could be a viable bidder on some of these projects. So I spent a lot of time this week working on, uh, you know, relationships with uh, people that I've known for many years to say, hey, this is the kind of thing that Floor Driver does. Uh, you're working with clients. Uh, let's find a way to get uh, the Floor Driver maintenance in front of this client and uh, in, in some ways, whether that's doing equipment preservation, whether that's doing something on a big project site-wide services, maybe it's doing uh, consulting when they have a, a spare parts review or a, or a model review that has a maintenance spin to it. Those are the sorts of things where we can bring Fluor Driver in. We can wave the flag a little bit to those project teams who will eventually have a plant that will need maintaining. And so I'm trying to get a little bit further upstream with uh, certainly with Fluor, but also with JV Driver on who are the people that they're talking to and how can I be a part of those conversations to, uh, to, uh, to, you know, float the floor driver brand and, and get some recognition, name recognition out of that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a great example, actually, Paul, because I talk a lot on my program about just brand recognition in general and that like a lot of companies start and they, like you said, they sit and they wait for the phone to ring because they put out a few Google ads or a few Facebook ads or LinkedIn ads or whatever. They got a they got a full digital strategy. They're waiting. They're just waiting for the phone to ring because they put out all these ads and they're thinking, oh, well, Mr. Client's going to come. He's going to click this ad and he's going to call us and he'll say, hey, I need mechanical services or I need maintenance. But like you're in, you're a perfect example of this, Paul. Literally within, like he is part of you know, they're shareholders in our organization. Fleur and JB Driver are shareholders in the organization. And there's still people in those companies who need to be educated. There needs to be somebody out there waving the Fleur Driver flag saying, hey, we're we're here. We can do this work. And not only that, we're part, we're part of your group. Like you should use us, right? So I talk all the time about how act you need to be active in your marketing strategy. You need to go out and educate your customers. You need to be reaching out to them, whether that be through phone calls, emails, but you need to be making direct contact to educate your customer on your product because even within organizations, there can be a lack of awareness about certain branches of the company. And um, Paul, you're speaking to a perfect example of one right now. The other thing that uh, that we're trying to do, Kelly, is is recognize that uh, m- many of our, our current clients, our, our relationships are are at a supply chain level and at a plant maintenance manager level that we have no relationships higher up in the in the client organizations right and so who do we who do we nudge 
when we've got something else to add or who do we uh, who do we address a, a problem with or a fairness with when when our when our um, our key contacts are probably maybe even part of the problem uh, so we're trying to navigate uh, additional relationships in the clients organizations and 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 you know if we're working at one plant for a big client well why aren't we working at the other three plants that they own so mm -hmm. what's what's holding us back from doing that and 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 it is the client executives aware of those good things that we've done over the past seven years are they aware of the value? Are they aware of the the different things in the floor driver toolkit that we're bringing to bear to the benefit of that client, right? And and my guess is no, because I I don't think that is getting getting channeled up the organization. So I think that the, the all the good that we do is is kept at a plant level, and uh, my goal would be to get additional relationships with uh, with uh, e teams and C suites to to uh to 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 be that contractor that is that is well known and is valued um the, the people that control the money should appreciate what we bring to the table as a not only a a lower rate but a a more productive workforce and and you know driving reliability into the plant so the plant has more throughput those sorts of things that that really do appeal to the people that control the money yeah, no, and uh, I, I definitely see the challenge in that because it's not, it's just simply not as easy to find the right people. There's a lot of detective work involved. There's a lot of questions to be asked to get to the right people in those organizations with what you do. And so it's like we are even developing our strategy. It's like as we go, we're developing our strategy on how do we, okay, how do we educate that next plant? How do, and, and I know in a lot of our meetings, a way that we do that is we ask, is there somebody else that we should talk to? Is there somebody else in this organization that might find this, this conversation interesting? And can you give us an introduction? And I think we have to just continue to chase the next lead. There, there needs to be detective work involved in all of our conversations with our clients. Because like you said, it, these larger organizations, they're compartmentalized. They may or may not share information. And in my experience, most of the time, it's there may not, right? They, they're probably not sharing information to the next site. And so unfortunately, what that means for you is that if you are working with a large organization with multiple locations, you may need to reach out to every single one of those locations and come in cold, come in new, because even if you're working at one of them, there's no guarantee they're talking. I'd almost guarantee they're not talking, Kelly. So a plan for that, I guess, is, is the message. If you don't, don't, don't think that just because you've got a relationship with one one branch of a client's organization that you're in any way connected to any other branch. They're not. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, Paul, we're getting to the end of our interview. I, uh, I just want to have one more question for you. And I, I think it's going to be a little bit of, a, of an, of an open-ended one. What has been the best growth strategy that you have utilized with Fleur Driver? To you, what has been the most effective thing that any company can do to grow their business? So Kelly, I think um, I think that all of the growth strategies and stuff are great, and uh, all of them take effort. All of them require heavy lifting. I think the, the 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 best thing that we've done is essentially unshackle our employees and say, "There's no rules. There's no constraints. Let's get busy. What is it that we can do?" What are the relationships that we could pull on today that might get us more work? 
What are the trade shows we should attend that might get us more recognition? What are the uh, conferences we should attend and present at? What subjects should we present at? Um, who can we call? Who do we know? What's who do we partner with that might know someone? And and if you if you take three steps back and you say there's actually no constraints here, we want to grow our business, and you let people be creative and you let people come up with those good ideas, and we follow through with them and say, let's try it. Yeah, and I think you know that to me the 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 taking people and letting them go outside of their box or their normal work and 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 let them think and let them be creative and let them try some stuff on that are that is consistent with the company's direction i think uh, i think that's the best thing that you can do is 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 harness your people give them the ability to independently come up with ideas and then run with some of those I think the, the what the people bring to the table is is as good as any as any master plan or any any consultant sort of growth strategy. I think the, you know tap the people. They all know people. They all have ideas, and and I think some of those ideas are actually quite good, and and we'll do them often. Yeah, that's great advice, Paul. So. So there you go. There you have it. Paul Hola. Uh, if you need to grow, if you're looking at a good growth strategy, don't forget to ask your people, ask your employees. You know, they have great ideas. They come from different backgrounds. They've seen different things than you. Don't be afraid to ask for help because no one of us have the answer. And you know, it's like, I've been doing this a long time, Paul. I don't have all the answers. I know that for sure. There's people who have different experiences than me. They come from a different industry than me that have done things differently that um, all bring a different experience to the table. And so utilizing our team, and I've seen this done to effect in multiple companies, can make you more effective in your growth strategy. All right. Um, so just in closing, this has been an interview with Paul Hola. Paul is the president of Fleur Driver. Paul, you're amazing. I appreciate you taking the time to uh, have this interview and, and educate my listeners today. And I hope that we brought a lot of value. Actually, I know we brought a lot of value because you have just so much experience in not only managing teams, managing projects, but you do such a great job at Fluor Driver and at motivating your team at Fluor Driver. And uh, I just want to say that it, it has been an honor and a privilege to work with you and for you at Fluor Driver. I just want to ask before we close off today, is there any question that I could answer for you? Is there anything that you would like to ask me uh, while we're on the show? I do, Kelly. And I'm going to flip it back to you. You said... What would I think one of your questions on the pre-read was what what would you have done differently if you could go back five years? And I'm going to say, Kelly, you've been working for us for a year. What would you do differently if you could go back and tell your your 19 year old self what to do? Oh, gosh. OK. Um, yes. Thank you. Be open to new ideas, Paul. That is it. Um, I, I'm a kind of person who I get into a routine of something that I find effective and I carry it over and over and over again. So before I worked at Fleur Driver, I worked very much on a marketing strategy that was a physical strategy. I liked actually going to locations, dropping physical brochures, getting cards, meeting with people, which I still think is incredibly effective. And I still 100% love that approach. And and if you are a smaller business and you're trying to grow locally, I still think that that's probably one of the best approaches you can take. I had to change the way that I did business, Paul, to work for you. Because I used to do that pretty regularly. 
But when I came in to work with Fluid Driver, suddenly the script got flipped and you said, Kelly, <laughs> our clients are across Canada. How, how are we going to figure this one out? And so I changed, I had to change the way that I went around my approach. And now I speak very highly of LinkedIn. You know that I've taken a very, very heavy LinkedIn approach to the way that we do business with Fluid Driver. And that has changed the approach now that I would do business everywhere because we have found so much success in doing what I like to call a soft introduction, which is a very brief introduction on LinkedIn, attaching our marketing material before I make that initial cold contact, whether that be phone or email, that in, in my mind has made us 10 times more effective just because I can reach 10 times more people than I was able to reach before. And so if I could go back and tell 19-year-old Kelly what to do or like what you could change... It's be open to change. Be open to the way that you do things is going to evolve in time and allow, you know, allow experts or people to come in and say, hey, you know, you've been doing it this way, but I think there might be a better way. Don't just kibosh it. Because there's a time, Paul, when I would have just kiboshed it and said, the way that I'm doing this is the right way. It's the only way I should do it this way. But times change and we have to change with them to be effective. So that's my advice. All right. Well, that uh, that closes off our show. This has been the Business Development Podcast. You're listening to episode 14. This has been an interview with Paul Hola at Fluor Driver. And Paul, um, can you maybe plug some of your details in case people want to reach out to you? Um, sure. What do you want, Kelly? You want my cell number? You want? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. You can look me up on LinkedIn. Yeah. Why don't you give? Why don't you? Uh, why don't you give them your LinkedIn? I think that tends to be the best way that uh, people are contacting us these days. Well, you can find me at Paul Hola. That's H-O-L-A-H. Um, uh, just look up Paul Hola at Fleur Driver. Awesome. And uh, you can, uh, if you guys want to check out Fleur Driver, you can come over and find us at www.fdindustrial.com. That is www.fdindustrial.com. Fleur Driver does full scope facility maintenance turnaround and capital projects. They have access to all trade and craft you may need. They have the ability to work union or non-union. And uh, like Paul says, the answer is yes. So give us a shout. All right. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Business Development Podcast. We'll catch you on the flip side. This has been the Business Development Podcast with Kelly Kennedy. Kelly has 15 years in sales and business development experience within the Alberta oil and gas industry and founded his own business development firm in 2020. His passion and his specialization is in customer relationship generation and business development. The show is brought to you by Capital Business Development, your business development specialists. For more, we invite you to the website at www.capitalbd.ca. See you next time on the Business Development Podcast. Business Rockstars, we at the Business Development Podcast humbly invite you to be part of our journey. Despite our global reach spanning over 130 countries and our status as an award-winning show, we remain committed to delivering valuable insights and engaging content to our audience of decision makers. With two episodes released every single week and a back catalog of over 100 episodes, we strive to provide our listeners with the latest strategies and trends in business development and business growth. Why consider sponsoring us? Our listeners trust us to deliver authentic, informative content, making it an ideal platform for you to showcase your brand in a genuine and meaningful way. 
Choose from flexible sponsorship packages tailored to fit your advertising needs. With a back catalog of over 100 episodes and an average of eight new episodes released every single month, there are plenty of opportunities for you to connect with our audience. If you believe that your brand aligns with our humble mission, reach out to us at podcast at capital bd.ca. Let's start a conversation and explore how we can collaborate to elevate your brand together. Thank you for considering us. Send us an email at podcast at capital bd.ca and let's partner for the future.